0: So river, river so valley, valley so rain, Welcome river to the Axial Spondylarthritis spondy spondy Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a long-time spondy, looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what's available to make your life better. The axial Spondylarthritis spondy Podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Ruth Napier. She is a rare disease expert and immunologist and assistant professor at Oregon Health and Science University and works with the VA in Portland. And I hope I got all that correct, Dr. Napier, because you have one amazing background. (laughs) Thank you. Welcome to the show. One of the things that caught my eye was you're doing the research research looking at, and again, I'm going to come at this from a layman's terms. When I think of genetics and genes, I think of like Legos all stacked up together and pieces can come out and hopefully pieces can go back in to fix certain things in the future, now, whenever. And you're working on or have done research on items related to AS and how that fits into some of the genetics, if I understood it correctly.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: And so tell me a little bit about what you were researching
1: Right, so I guess like a little bit of background on me makes a little bit more sense. So I have a Ph.D. in microbiology. I started my training working with Mycobacterium tuberculosis, and so the way that I've been trained and the way that I think is very much about infection and how our bodies respond to infection. So for my postdoc fellowship, I joined an autoimmunity lab. So to be honest, I hadn't heard of ankylosing spondylitis before, but when I went to go look through the literature and I saw. That all of the genetic mutations that were associated with increased prevalence to ankylosing spondylitis, I noticed there was a lot of genes that are involved in how our body defends itself against infection. And one stood up to me the most, which was a gene called CARD9. And so this is what we did our project on. We know based on genome-wide association studies that there's a particular mutation, so a small nucleotide polymorphism in the gene CARD9 that humans can carry that causes them to be predisposed to ankylosing spondylitis. It doesn't mean if you have this genetic variant, you're going to get it. It's just an association. And so we sought out to ask, how is CARD9 driving disease? And so we developed a mouse model of ankylosing spondylitis. And on top of that, we deleted CARD9 from that mouse to ask how disease would develop without that gene there.
0: So as you go through and talk about this, and you and I had spoke previously, everybody that has AS, the first thing they always want to talk about is, are you HLA-B27 positive, negative? How's that imply? But in reality, as more and more is learned about this, that gene is important, but it's really not important. There, there's a lot more other differences that we can now look at, genes that can be looked at. How many are there that could contribute? It wasn't a number that amazing. Me.
1: Right. So HLA-B27 is the strongest genetic association. But in addition to that, there are over 102 different mutations in our genome that cause you to be predisposed to just ankylosing spondylitis.
0: And so a person can have one or more of those. Is that correct?
1: Yes, definitely. And
0: there's really, gosh, if there's over a hundred, the combinations are in the millions, I would think, if not higher. Sorry, I'm not a mathematician. It could be a lot higher than that.
1: Right. I mean, you, you have to have basically like some high-function. And computer to work out all the different combinations
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as you map this and you look at this card nine the study with mice if you remove it what ended up happening to the mice
1: Right. So we were a little surprised because when we removed the gene, AS did not develop in those mice. And so they were 100% protected from any type of axial spondyloarthritis. So this suggested to us that expression of that gene, so having CARD9, is essential to developing the disease. And so likely that that CARD9 mutation that causes you to be susceptible was not a loss of function, but rather a gain of function in CARD9. So
0: by removing that piece, you strengthen the gene's ability to defend itself.
1: Right. By removing that piece, we strengthened the, the mouse to defend itself.
0: Interesting. So don't everybody run out and ask your doctor to blood type you for card nine. That's nowhere near where I think we're at at this point. Is, is that a fair statement?
1: Right. It certainly wouldn't hurt to know, but I don't think at this point we know what it means.
0: And so ultimately, this could help to determine which biologic is better for one person versus another when they start. You may be able to narrow it down so that as a patient, as a person with AS, you're not on this merry-go-round of let's just try everything till we find something that what I call the dartboard approach.
1: Right. So we hypothesized just that. And so we took uh, HLA B27 patients and drew their blood and genotyped if they had the CARD9 mutation or not. And then we asked if the people who have the mutation had higher inflammatory responses. And we looked specifically at IL-17, which is the current, you know, secunimab, the current target for the disease. And what we found is that patients that carried this mutation expressed higher levels of that disease-causing cytokine or protein, IL-17. And so I think that strengthens this argument that the mice are telling us that Card nine is essential in drive disease, and we're showing that it's driving a IL seventeen mediated disease. And so we would hypothesize that if you were an HLA B twenty seven patient and you express the CARD nine mutation, that you might be predisposed to developing an IL seventeen mediated form of AS.
0: And the reason that caught my attention as I read the article was, like everybody else, and I'm talking about the United States because of the way that the health insurance controls some things. I went on the anti TNF merry go rounds. Because that was all that existed. I had been diagnosed in 1984. There were no biologics. So by the time, what, 20 years went along and I f- tried a first biologic, it was embryo. Saw some basic relief from it, but it wasn't anything amazing. So six months later, well, let's try Humira. After Humira, I was like, forget it. There's just, neither of them are working. A few years, I guess, 2018, well, no, 2017. In October of 2017, my rheumatologist says, hey, there's this new medication that came out a few months back. Why don't you try it? He gives me a couple samples and says, here's the loading dose. Here's how it works. Here's what you do. And I think like three shots into the loading dose, uh, five shots for the loading dose, I was like, oh my gosh, this stuff's amazing. And it was just, it kept getting better till it hit a plateau, obviously. It it hit a level where it just stayed the same, but the way I felt was fantastic. And I am like, so this is what it feels like when this thing works. And that's the part that as a patient, we all look at going well, what's going to work? How many, you know, is it going to be two years till I find the right thing? Three years, five years. That's why I'm so grateful for people like yourself that have no person in their family that's associated with AS, nothing that says, this is a driver. I need to figure it out. You've just kind of stumbled into it and run with it. I'm so grateful for you doing this. Well, it's not going to necessarily benefit me now. Future people are going to benefit hugely from what you're doing.
1: Right. I mean, we're pretty excited about it. But again, with Card 9 it's just one of the 102 mutations associated and so we wish we had the capacity to run through each of the 102 and kind of figure out different permutations. But I think that is like the future. And that would be essentially like in the cancer field, precision medicine or personalized medicine for our autoimmune diseases, which makes a lot of sense.
0: In your research, as I read through it, is there any difference in genetics as far as males respond to this females respond to that or did your research not go into that
1: my research did not specifically go into that uh, my mice are all females that i used but the principles we have tested in male mice and they work but in the human samples we just drew from the population and so it ended up being since we were looking at axial arthritis, we ended up getting majority of male patients but we did have definitely enrolled females
0: Interesting. So it's one of those things where, again, as I read through this paper and everybody, I'll have a link in the show notes to this. uh, Dr. Napier's research is really interesting. And she has a paper posted on LinkedIn that's written for somebody like myself and my listeners to easily understand versus the actual research study that was like the first time I read it, I'm like, holy cow, this is way above me. But once I read your article on LinkedIn, I was like, oh, makes complete sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, even myself understands the LinkedIn article better than my own article. (laughs) I'm not going to lie.
0: So as you do this now, this is just one piece. Is there any next steps with this card nine or is it looking at other genes? What, how do you use this going forward?
1: Yeah, a couple different ways. One is that we are going to test the actual principle. Can we identify people who will respond better to IL-17 biologics by knowing their genotype? So we're doing perspective and longitudinal study looking at hundreds of AS patients over time who just happen to be going on IL-17 inhibitors and pairing their genetics with their response to try to delineate if we could potentially use this in addition or as a companion diagnostic to HLA-B27 to stratify these patients. Another thing that we're really interested in is there's a link between this CARD9 mutation and IBD, both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And as AXPA individuals know, there's a lot of overlap in those two diseases. So we're hoping that we can start including those patients and looking at how we can use that CARD9 mutation to identify an AS patient's susceptibility to developing IBD. Perhaps if they were able to be treated with a biologic that you could stave that off. I, I don't know. I mean, these are like the future future, but it turns out that 72 percent of ankylosing spondylitis patients express this CARD9 mutation.
0: Is the thought process in, in the future, once this becomes, once you, as you said, stratify and identify more pieces of the puzzle, that you could actually remove that from a person like you did with the mice? Or is that mixing up where you're like, okay, if I take that, I got 101 other things that I don't know what I'll <laughs> screw with.
1: It's a really great idea. I mean, it's, it's a really cool concept. And so a lot of the genes that are mutated in autoimmunity, are genes that are very important in basically your health, your homeostasis of your health, right? So for instance, in CARD9, individuals who are born with loss of function or essentially a lack of that gene, it's very rare, but it happens. They develop a systemic brain Candida albicans infection, which is like environmental yeast, and they will die if not treated. So that's the extreme of lacking that gene. And so actually, if you look at the Card9 mutation that's associated with AS, it looks like based on the literature that it's going to be a gain of function. So the answer to your question is you don't want to inhibit Card9 because it's really important in defending you day to day from infection, but you also don't want to turn it up as in the mutation, because that gives you a higher baseline of inflammation. And for somebody who has underlying predisposition, like an HLA-B27 patient, this can actually be like the perfect storm, where the two mutations can synergize and result in the disease.
0: Interesting. When you have that identified, and let's say you've got a patient now, you have identified that you know that they have the AS, everything's there, and you're going to put them on an IL-17 inhibitor. When that biologic goes in, a lot of people, I think, are under the impression that the biologic affects all their genes. But in reality, it's just targeting that one particular piece. Do I understand that correct? That it's not really going to target everything. It's trying to go in and inhibit or mediate that IL-17A in the
1: example. Right. I mean, it's very, very specific. It's just binding up that inflammatory protein IL-17.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a a big misconception. And I don't know where it comes from or how to, from a medical standpoint, even try to look at mediating that is that it doesn't affect everything in your body. An anti-T NF is going after one particular piece, an IL-17 and one particular piece. So that's the gene that could become, if I understand right, susceptible to problems if it's too much mediation that's taking place. Again, I'm such a layman that I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous because um, people will get on these biologics and be, oh my gosh, it causes cancer. Well, no, it doesn't cause every type of cancer. You know, it's been shown to have in people that have certain types of cancer. And I think even those studies were flawed. And I may be way out of your wheelhouse. You're
1: definitely. definitely. Definitely not. I mean, I think about this a lot and I think it's really complicated. If you knew everyone's genetics and it was like Gattaca where everyone knew everyone's genetics, we could probably be like, hey, Tom shouldn't go on a biologic because... He has this other mutation that will cause him to get cancer. But that's like a minor subset of people, and it's always a possibility, right? And not only do your genetics play into like how biologics and cancer are going to affect you, but your environment are going to affect you. So it could end up being people that live in a certain part of a state shouldn't take biologics. I mean, I'm just making this up, but right. there, the overwhelming evidence is that taking a biologic in itself is not going to cause cancer, but... I get where the people are coming from because cancer and autoimmunity are essentially, you want the opposite. So to clear a tumor, you want your immune system to be overreactive, right, to clear foreign and dead and dying and cancer cells. But in the case of autoimmunity, you want to stop any kind of inflammation to prevent further damage. So I see where they're coming from, but I think that the biologics are so well done and they're targeting specific inflammatory mediators that are not seemingly are known to be overlapping with protection against cancer. I mean, it's hard for me to say anything in absolute, but...
0: Well, and I think that's one of the big things with this particular condition is that, as you said, if you have 100 plus mutations and you could have any number of those. And then you live in an area that like I did, there's heavy manufacturing that took place years and years ago with little to no oversight could be completely different than somebody that lives in Oregon, which could be completely different than somebody that lives in England. So you've got an environmental factor that ties into biologic factor. And I, th- I don't even know if you could map out that. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess you could, but it, you're like you said, it's probably hundreds of years in the future once everybody is typed at birth.
1: Right. And then to make it more complicated, it's like every gene that a human has, they have two of. So some people have one Card9 mutation and one normal wild type copy. Some people have two mutations. Oh, geez. So then you get even like doubling the different combinations you can have.
0: Again, that's where I go back to what you're doing is so incredible. I look at genomics as all these Legos stacked up. And just like with Legos, you can get thousands and thousands of different abilities. Yes, a gene's going to be structured the same way, but all those little pieces could be slightly different for you versus me. And one little trigger and you could have an autoimmune disease or you could not because you've gotten yourself typed and you know that my body susceptible to blah, but not this. And to know that in the future, I think that's going to be amazing because if you can, if you can restore somebody like myself's quality of life or a good chunk of it early on, that's incredible. I think one of the biggest things I've said this before for the health industry is as soon as a person's given a diagnosis of AS, the first prescription should be to a gym for either low impact yoga, swimming, something that's, that's mandatory that you have to do that, that movement keeps you from freezing up and hopefully in addition to a, a biologic that would be known it slows down any progression or any fusing.
1: Right. I mean that's that's the interesting and also kind of neat thing about autoimmunity if there's anything neat about it is that exercise does usually help whereas like if you have something like osteoarthritis you know it's all about use and abuse, right? And so people who have rheumatoid arthritis is like hurts more in the morning it gets better through the day when you start moving around yeah i mean it's it's a lot to put on a person you're born with a genetic susceptibility you might have an environmental component and then all of a sudden you're the one that has to be like super healthy and have a gluten-free diet and make time in your schedule to go to the gym and like it's a lot for anybody especially when you're like a person who's not in perfect health to have to worry about that stuff oh
0: i agree i i completely understand you mentioned something there a moment as you've looked at the genetics Is there any type of diet that works? See, again, this is hard (laughs) because what works for one person might not work for another. But as you look at the genetics, is there anything that is shown to be probably more beneficial or less beneficial for people with AS food-wise? You mentioned gluten-free, and I don't know if that's something that's been studied and looked at that you're aware of.
1: You know, I don't know, but I think of AS and all the autoimmune diseases as a pro-inflammatory disease. And so in my head, having a low inflammation diet would be something I would try. I don't know if there's been any controlled studies. I'm sorry, that's not anything I've read about.
0: There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but again, it's the same thing like with biologics. What works for you doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for you. This is a condition that affects much more people than they realize. You know, when I was diagnosed in 1984, my doctor's like, "Hey, women can get this disease, but it's very, very minor, and it's mostly a genetic disease that affects people of Mediterranean descent." I was like, "Hmm, "Okay, that makes sense." Well, I found out that as the years have progressed, a it's not only just a disease that affects Mediterranean; it affects everybody. And it went from, "Eh, "Yeah, ladies might get it," to, "Oh, yeah, they get it about half as much as men." To, "No, it's they're right in this with us; they just structure it maybe a little bit differently, and you see more on." The non-radiographic side versus the men that show up more on the radiographic side, but I always wonder if it's because the men just weren't caught at the non-radiographic side before they, you know, moved on that plane over to the radiographic. I, I don't know. Again, I know just enough to be dangerous.
1: Yeah, I think it's like really a, an interesting thought about what like some people look at non-radiographic as like the precursor to Spa and some people look at it as like a whole separate pathology. And I don't know the answer, but I will tell you that I am interested in looking at like a specific women-centered cohort, because I actually might get more women talking to me about AS than I do men.
0: In the forum that I moderate on Facebook, there's more women than men in the forum, and they're more vocal about the diagnostic journey. And I've read studies where women tend to have more neuropathy than men, but men have, I think it was more hip issues. Um, But to me, it's like all these areas are so darn interesting and as you delve into these pieces, it's like, all right, where's it going to go? Where's it, it can just branch off everywhere. To know that your research could trigger somebody else to do something could trigger somebody else. That's why I say I'm so in awe of what you're doing.
1: Yeah, the female male dichotomy is so interesting, and it's really hot in cancer right now. Showing that. So I'm not going to say it's exactly right, but essentially what we're finding now is that the immune system of women in general tend to be more inflammatory like than men, which means that you're going, that we have higher levels of autoimmunity, but on the flip side, we have less levels or severity of cancer overall. So men, they have a less inflammatory immune system at baseline, it's thought. And so they are actually more susceptible to infection, but their cancer journeys are sometimes worse.
0: So as we look at this condition with, with the men versus the women, like, like I mentioned, it's just amazing because- That itself can carry more um, branches to look at as you decide or decipher, I should say, why a woman develops it this way, why a man develops it this way, and what uh, of those genes, obviously, the men and women all have the same genes um, as as far as you look at it. So do women tend to show a different combination? Do men show a different combination? And can you manipulate those two? lower AS in women, lower AS in men, but not increased cancer. I mean, that's all stuff that would have to happen years down the road, but it's it's certainly something that can be opened up and looked at as your research expands.
1: I mean, if you think about people who have like brown hair versus red hair, there's no mutation necessarily involved. It's The body expresses certain proteins that turn on certain genes that make your hair brown versus red, right? And that's the same with genetics. So like I said, there can be one or two copies of the mutation. Then there can be a silencing of one of them. It can be in certain cells and not others. It can be expressed in higher copy number by some people. So there are like, I don't want to say infinite, but many, many, many different reasons why we will probably never understand how each person is unique.
0: Rheumatology as a field really just started as a spinoff in the what late 70s, early 80s, where it became its own subset. Right. And then from rheumatology, we had what, the ability to map genes for 50 years, 20 years. So each piece of this is important. Each piece allows a subset and a more narrow way for doctors to identify what patients are at. Uh, And I've said this before, my journey was I walked into the doctor. My doctor was a guy named Dr. Alan Morton here in Michigan. I walked in. I, I mean, he spent like 10 minutes talking to me. Do this, do that. You have AS. Now let's go do the blood work to prove it. And that was as much as it was. I'm like, oh, okay. Everybody gets treated like this. And, you know, it's just as easy as identifying a hangnail. And come to find out, I I'm watching these people go in decades with trying to get a diagnosis or the generic, you have fibro. Right.
1: You have fibro. And
0: I'm like, golly, this is terrible for these poor people that are just, I know, suffering. I can remember 14, 15, 16, laying in bed and just crying as I tried to scoot towards the edge of the bed to roll out of the bed to even be able to get up in the morning. I mean, it took me some days 45 minutes to, to actually get out of bed. You could only scoot inch by inch by inch to the edge till you actually rolled off. That was my journey. Other people go through that in their twenties, thirties, forties, as it kicks in. I look back and I'm like, I'm glad that was then. And now I'm dealing with I've been told it kind of burns itself out eventually to a point. And then you deal with all the damage that it caused.
1: Yeah. For me, instead of thinking of each person as individual butterfly of genetics and how I'm gonna figure out each person, I try to look at overall themes. And I feel like card nine brings up a really interesting one because in studying how card nine works in AS, we we were able to figure out that there's a really important role for a blood cell called a neutrophil. And so if you were to have a phlebotomist take your blood, 80% of the white blood cells in there would be neutrophils. And so these are those cells that are like really rapid responders. If you get a cut on your arm, they're the first cell there. They eat dead cells, infection they are the first to a burn. They're really like your wound infection control cells. They're made in your bone marrow. They can just dump out. They're pretty amazing cells. And so forever, they have been implicated at high levels in people who have And But we found that CAR9 is actually specifically functioning inside of that cell type in your blood to interact with that end cell, which is called a T cell that's actually going to make that IL-17. And so what is exciting about that is that regardless of how every, patient gets to a point where they have excessive IL-17 and need to go on Secunimab, regardless of their genetics and their environment and how they got to that point, the mechanism, there's a lot of commonalities. And so let's say if neutrophils are a commonality in all AS patients as to how they get to having that pathogenic IL-17 response, then we could target the neutrophils. And so that's another aim of our study is to figure out what is the mechanism inside the neutrophil by which CARD9 is ramping up its ability to then turn on like rogue T-cell responses. And so right now in clinical trials, there's in the 30s of drugs being tried to target this particular cell type in different types of autoimmune disease. And so the idea would be, yes, CARD9 and the mutation CARD9 are very interesting to follow up on, and it would be interesting to know who has it and who doesn't. And hopefully it does become a companion diagnostic but i think even more importantly is that card nine is given the opportunity to like show me a way in which a huge percentage of of my mice and and maybe humans actually get to the same point
0: interesting you mentioned a t cell inside the white blood cell is there any relation to that to when you hear somebody talk about has there been any research done on stem cell therapy is is there any such benefit for somebody with as that you've ever seen
1: i have seen papers where people undergo bone marrow transplants and their AS goes away. But I've also seen somewhere that comes back.
0: Interesting. So again, there's another avenue to look at and say, why is this happening? Not for you, obviously, or, or maybe in the future for you. It's interesting to see that if somebody got the right treatment, I'm assuming they'd have to be fairly early in the AS stages with very minimal amounts of damage to see a huge benefit from
1: that. I guess I would assume that too. I mean, you can't ever go backwards. In
0: my case, I've had four hip replacements. I can't undo those. So- A person that's early on diagnosed with non-radiographic, it'd be interesting to see if they do studies on that in the future. Depending on the legality of it, I I just thought I would check. I I see that pop up on occasion. You also have your lab that's at 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 the university. You're teaching or strictly research?
1: I do teach a bit. My focus is research. So we call them like an R one institute, and so all of the faculty, aside from clinical faculty who are like your rheumatologists, they have a large percentage of not all of their time is seeing patients and so they get paid by the university. But people like myself who do research and you can have a PhD or an MD um, to run a research lab, we have different amounts of time Protected, where we do only research. And so for me, because I'm not a clinician, I have 100% time devoted to research. And in order to do my research, I have to raise all of my own funds. So I personally pay my entire own salary, everyone in my lab salary, I pay for the space, everything we buy, I pay for every computer. I mean, I basically rent space at the university.
0: With the research that you've done and the grants that you've written and all of that, that keeps your particular lab going, I'm going to have a link in the show notes for people to the research your lab. I believe there's even a way to, to donate to help keep research going and your LinkedIn page that has all of the great articles that you're doing. And I know in a previous conversation, you mentioned sometimes you do research. So someone should keep an eye on your lab page. And if a study comes up that could be applicable to them, they may want to reach out. I think that would help you finding people for research and them for being able to be researched. But the, they just can watch your lab page and see those opportunities come up. Is that correct?
1: Right. Yeah. Definitely. Well,
0: fantastic. Well, you know, Dr. Neighbor. again, I want to thank you for your time. The conversations we've had have been just eye-opening because while I find this interesting, I'm also smart enough to know I have no clue as to what you actually do on a day-by-day basis, but the actual work you're doing is so beneficial that I just, again, hats off to you. I'm just, I'm so grateful there's people like yourself that take your time, your effort, and your knowledge to focus on a, a condition that really you don't have any tie to, that's just one- you stumbled into, as I mentioned before. So uh, again, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. And I I look forward to reading more papers that come out to say, oh, we found this did this or this did that. So uh, again, I, I really thank you for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's not often that someone wants to try to understand my science. So it's fun.
0: You'll have people that want to understand it. So it's fascinating. Like I said, I've, I saw a paper that was coming out pre-COVID from China where they were researching AS and, and mice. So I need to find that and, and get it to you. It was a pretty big deal in the fact that obviously if the people with AS are going up as they better diagnostics, a country like China with its population is susceptible to having hundreds of thousands of people show up with AS that can be a huge I hate to say this because it's even myself, but a drain on medical care, the drain is not that we can't be treated. The drain is that you have all these ways to have to treat them and it takes so long that the person gets worse when they could have done it the right way to begin with once they know and maybe mediate some of the costs, maybe cut down on the actual cost of having to do four hip replacements on somebody or having to do, you know, knee replacements or whatever that are far more costly than just figuring out what the right medication and exercise is to begin with.
1: Right. I hope you're right in any form of way that there is a right way to treat someone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have to look at it like that in order to wake up in the morning as researchers and move forward. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that we can at least affect like a certain percent to show that it's possible and like inspire other people to go about it, to actually look into each of these mutations and look into different, you know, combinations and flavors that different people have. I think knowing about people like yourself who got it early and severely versus people who got it later in life is in itself really unique and telling so i think i think the as field is getting bigger by the minute it's really kind of small right now, but I have a lot of hope for it and I think it's going in a good direction.
0: Well, with so many people that have it, I think last I heard that there's actually more people with AS than MS. So it was much more known or talked about issue. But as I watched the growth of this, just in the people in the forum on Facebook, it's amazing to see I got diagnosed today. I got diagnosed today. It's just one after the other. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'd like to see how long, when did you start and when did you diagnose this? It's just a fascinating thing. So I could talk to you for hours. I know you're busy and I'll really thank you for your time. I appreciate you giving time and knowledge to myself and my listeners as to this just valuable thing that can affect us or will affect us and future patients. So again, I thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a lot of fun to be here.
0: Well, thank you doctor. And you have a wonderful afternoon and I, I look forward to talking to you again in the future when you have this next amazing paper like this one. So I really, again, I thank you so much for your time and, and again, for your effort that you're putting behind this. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview I just did with Dr. Ruth Napier. One thing I'm going to ask you all to consider if you have the means or the ability is to go to the link in the show notes at Napier Lab and make a donation. Donate to help to continue to fund research like this that will help not only possibly yourself, but definitely future generations of axial spondyloarthritis patients. It's through the donations from people like myself and you that Dr. Napier's lab is able to continue to do the research and uh, dig deeper into what's going on with this. So I ask you to go down, go to the webpage, link that I have below. You'll make a donation right to her lab itself. And, you know, I encourage you, check it out. There's no amount that's too little to give make sure that, you know, you're helping to fund research that, you know, for myself that's been diagnosed all these years, this type of stuff wasn't even conceivable all those years ago. And now we have the ability to help self-fund research into this condition. So again, please go and take a look at the link, follow Dr. Napier's lab information. And if you have the ability, consider donating. Thank you for listening. Take care.